We are in Romans 15 this morning. We're down to the last two chapters of Romans. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 and then verse 13. I'm actually going to, going to skip 8 through 12 this morning and, and condense this just a bit. Uh, but as I was looking at this uh, passage and I was thinking about uh, where it was headed in my own mind and my own heart, I began to ask the question uh, that I think Paul is addressing for us there is, is how much do we look like God in our practical lives? Not, not you know, necessarily when we are in prayer or when we are studying our Bible, but when we're interacting as a husband and wife or we are uh, at our job and our work during the week, whether we are talking to a neighbor across the street or teaching in a, in a middle school classroom, do we bear a resemblance to our God? So I got thinking about that question, which led me to think about people that Kids look like their parents. You say that all the time. You might see somebody and go, oh, I know that's you know, George's son for sure because he looks just like him. So I went and did a little research, and I got a few pictures here. Now, they told me in the first service, okay, who is the gal on the, on the right? That's somebody fake. Is that Katie Holmes? Is she like movies or TV or singer? Or is she just famous because she's famous? Anyway, that's Katie Holmes with not a happy look. And her daughter, amazingly enough, looks a little bit like her in that. So I didn't know Katie Holmes because it's not my generation. So I went back to my generation. I've always been astounded at how much Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas look like each other. I mean, it's truly amazing. Now, I have one more picture, but before we put it up, this is only a picture of the child. You're not going to see the parent, but as soon as you see it, you're going to know exactly who this girl's father is. So we're going to go ahead and show this one to you. Why are you all laughing at that? That is my daughter, Katie, who, if she lives long enough, is going to get married in August of this year, Uh, and that is her doing some rock climbing out in Hawaii, and when I was there visiting in April, we drove by that rock, and she said, that's where I was when they took that picture, and I said, I want you to feel free to never send me a picture like that again. (laughs) Just, you know, tell me 10 years from now that that's what you did. Um, So she doesn't really look like her father. There may be 40 years ago, she maybe was when I, when I might have looked like that. But children bear resemblance to their parents. They are their offspring. They're, you see it in their eyes. You see it in their mannerisms. Nate was in town last week, and he said something, and he just looked at me and went, I've become you. And I'm like, and isn't that a blessing in your life, you know? <laughs> Why are you saying that with a concerned tone of voice? Romans 12 through 15, Paul is talking to us about how the righteousness of God should impact our lives. So, Again, by the righteousness of God, we mean the perfect justice of God and the perfect mercy of God coming together on the cross so that we experience grace instead of condemnation, so that we experience salvation instead of judgment because of what Jesus has done for us. 12 through 15 in Romans is Paul saying, now that grace impacts your life. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's not just about the vertical, but the vertical empowers and directs the horizontal. So if I am a disciple of Jesus, it stands to reason that my relationship with you is going to look different and should look better. It should look more like God is in control of my life. So as a a community of believers, do we resemble God's character? Can people look at us either jointly as, as a congregation or individually as disciples in any place we'll be in the next week and see God's truth and grace and justice, and mercy. Do we look like our Heavenly Father? That's the question for the morning. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, and then skipping down, we'll also include Romans 15, verse 13. Hear the Word of God. 
We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with, Jesus, with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to lift our voices and, and sing your praise. To be reminded through song uh, that you have brought us out of darkness and into light, that we were lost and stumbling and, and, and had gone against your perfect will. And, and we were groping around as if we could not find our way, and yet, by your grace, you have shown your light into our lives, and you have made a clear pathway for us through the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that, that we could sing and ask the question, are we washed in the blood? Do we, do we trust in Christ alone for our salvation? Do we understand what he has done for us by his gift on the cross so that we could embrace the tune, tis so sweet, to trust in Jesus? Because we see more and more how his faithfulness is given to us in such abundance. Father, we've sung these songs, whether we believe them or not is another matter. Whether we uh, apply the truths to our lives is another matter. Lord, there are many of us here that would call ourselves disciples. We have, we have been followers of Jesus for some amount of time. There's some of us here who are new to the faith. Lord, there's some of us here that, that don't really know Jesus. We know something maybe about him. Maybe a friend brought us. Maybe we were just curious. Maybe we're not curious. Maybe, maybe somebody just said, you got to go to church today, and we don't really want to be here. Lord, you know every person in this room. And you've gathered us together because you want to share your grace and mercy with us. So we all need you, whether we realize it or not. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak into every heart. Lord, what I have to say is, is completely irrelevant. It bears no weight. It bears no power. It is only your truth that can transform our hearts. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would, you would teach us, that you would forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know. That you would instruct every mind and every heart gathered in this room. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, within the context of the believing family, the, as we call it at Green Tree, our spiritual family, we are united in family because of what Christ has done for us. How do we know if we resemble our Father? How do we know if we resemble God? And I think Paul lays out a very clear pathway for us to enter into that conversation this morning. So I want to give you three observations uh, in this passage that will hopefully be a bit of a barometer for us will be a bit of a, uh, of maybe a little bit of a gut check and kind of see where we are this morning individually as each one of us uh, can listen and wrestle with God's word as he intends, but then also corporately as the kind of the flavor uh, of our family of, of Green Tree if we are uh, resembling our father. The first thing I'm going to, the observation, uh, observation I have, I'm going to call the obligation of grace. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then the passage stops there, and I've added those four words at the bottom. Those are Tom's words, not God's words. Committed, patient, selfless, and purposeful. Because I believe those four words are actually found in this text, in these two verses, and explain how we should resemble our God as we are in relationship with one another. The first word is committed. Paul uses this, this phrase that we who are, who are more mature, we who are strong, we have been, those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, and he's been on this topic uh, for the last couple of weeks we've been, we've been considering this topic. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Paul does not use that word obligation very much at all. He uses it four times in all of the letters that he writes. The only other time in Romans where you'll find this, and I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I will read it for you, is in the first chapter of Romans when Paul is reflecting on his own ministry and he says the following uh, in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul says I have a moral responsibility. This is a question for me of right and wrong. Paul says, it, it, it is right for me to represent Christ to anybody and everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, whether you're from the country, whether you're from the city, whether you're old, whether you're young. I am, I am obligated, I am responsible before God to share this gospel. He uses the exact same word towards the end of his letter to the Romans, and he includes his fellow disciples in that, and he says, we have a moral responsibility. In other words, we know what the right thing is to do. The question is, will we do it? Will we be committed? Will we understand that we have an obligation, not based on duty, not based on you know the, the preacher wagging his finger at you and saying, now go do this, but rather in response to the cross of Christ. As a recipient of his grace, we are, we are bound by that grace, by that mercy to do what? to care for others, to bear with the failings of the weak? Are we committed to a patient interaction with those who are younger in their faith? Paul says we are to bear with those who are weaker in their faith. You think of, of either when you were very young in your faith, or you think of someone you know now that is very young in your fa their faith. And, and I will tell you, because from past experience, when I was young in my faith, you do a lot of dumb things. <laughs> You read the Bible and you read it wrong sometimes and you believe stuff that now you kind of cringe and go, I, I don't even want anybody to know. I, I really thought that's what that verse meant. I, I'm kind of embarrassed by that. Why? Because I was young in my faith. I didn't know any better. And had there not been people who came alongside me, again, not to fuss at me and to demand that I get it right, but rather to say, I'm taking the long-term approach with you. I'm going to be patient with you. It's not that I'm not going to correct you. You're reading that verse really wrong, but I, but I love you enough to tell you. And I'm patient enough to hang in there with you as you grow in your faith. Paul calls us to that kind of commitment to have the end game in mind, to look out into the future and to see what could be. Think about when you were taught to ride a bike when you were real little. Maybe some of you have just learned to ride a bike recently, or maybe you remember teaching one of your kids to ride a bike. You don't start off by giving them a 10-speed bike and saying, there you go, knock yourself out. You start out on a tricycle, and then you go to training wheels, and then you, you, know, you, you build up, and then you know, mom or dad kind of pushes you and lets you go, and, and you go a little bit, and they cheer, and you turn around and see them cheer, and you fall down. And then they get up, and they, and they do it again, right? Because you know the end game is down the road somewhere. You don't insist that a three-year-old get on a bike and do it perfect the first time. 
Paul says we have to understand as disciples there's a, a goal in mind to which we are moving our younger brothers and sisters in Christ, and that calls for patience. Thursday night, two, three days ago, I had my first ever ballroom dancing lesson. I am doing this because my daughter's getting married in August, and my wife does not want me to humiliate her on the dance floor. And I love my wife so much that I am going to ballroom dancing lessons with her. I have six lessons in the next three weeks. On the back of the form that you fill out, it says, do you have any medical conditions? And then it says, or allergies. And I put down, only allergy is to rhythm. (laughs) Now, some of you made me feel better this morning, because when we started doing that clap real fast, y'all were way off. And, uh, and made me feel like I wasn't alone. So I, I know you probably all got together and said, let's make Tom feel better about his dance lessons. But this beautiful little 23-year-old uh, you know, ballerina who can flit around the room and you want to smack her. But um, you know, she understands what she's shooting for. She's like, okay, you know, Mr. Ricks, I'll, we'll keep working on this. It'll, it'll get better. She doesn't yell at me. She doesn't scream at me. She doesn't insist that I can foxtrot like everybody else can foxtrot around the room the first time out. And she has an end game in mind. She wants me to refer other people to her for her business because I could actually learn to dance. Do we take that approach, Paul says? We are under that obligation to patiently bear with it. It doesn't mean we don't tell the truth, but we, we give truth, we give correction in the, in the idea of wanting you to grow and to mature in your faith. And that means we have to approach this in a selfless manner. Let each of us please his neighbor, he says, and not what? And not live to please ourselves. This is so hard for us. It is so hard for for Western 21st century Americans who are, as we've said off and on, by definition, consumers. We, We tend to approach anything with what's in it for me. Maybe not overtly, maybe not rudely. We might do it in a polite way, but but our knee-jerk reaction is always, okay, well now how's this gonna work for me? What am I is this gonna be okay for me? Instead of saying, you know what, what's gonna be best for that person? Here's my younger brother in Christ. Here's my younger sister in Christ. What she really needs at this moment is this. Wow, that's a sacrifice on my part. It's okay. Because if I look like my father, part of my resemblance of him will be an attitude of selflessness. And and friends, I got to tell you, I'm not a very formulaic person. I'm not a person that says put a system to everything. But I would say this. This is such a challenge for us. This is such a work of the Holy Spirit that needs to take place in our lives that I want to encourage everybody. I've been praying about this. And when I say everybody, I mean Tom Ricks too. Start somewhere with this this week. Think of somebody that lives across the street from you. Think of somebody who, who maybe is a younger person in Christ or think of someone who maybe doesn't have family in town. It's just somebody that you could go to them and, and in a selfless way, not in a blow the trumpets so let everybody know what you're doing, just offer some act of kindness. And ask that God would make that actually become a natural way of life for you through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Because if if we are committed and patient and selfless, that means that we will ultimately be purposeful in our relationships with one another. How does Paul end this? Let's please his neighbor, not just so your neighbor will go, oh, isn't she a great gal or isn't he a great guy? Please your neighbor, why? For his good to build him up, to build her up. The objective here, we have an intentionality, and it is simply this. I want to make sure that my life helps you follow Jesus. Paul says, if we want to know if we have a family resemblance, how do we as disciples react to this obligation of grace? 
The second thing Paul uh, demonstrates in this passage of do we resemble our, our God, our Father, is that he gives us a mirror for reflection. He actually turns us back to Scripture and says, if you want to kind of take stock, let me help you with that. And he starts in verse 3 by saying this, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul's quoting out of the Psalms there, but he's looking at a passage that is foretelling what is going to happen to Jesus when he cleans out the temple. He's going to, the, he, he comes to the temple. He says, you guys have got it all wrong. He throws over the money tables. He chases out the people that are buying and selling. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. And I would argue that that act of confrontation on the part of Jesus was the kindest thing he could do for those people in the temple because he was steering them away from what they were doing wrong. And he was showing them in a very poignant way, in a very poignant lesson, how they needed to turn back to a faithfulness to God. And Paul says, if you want to know if you resemble God, look at the life of Jesus. Do you have within you the look of Christ? When you observe the world, when you interact with friends and neighbors and coworkers and friends that, you know, kids at school that, you, that your friends with, uh, your friends with, do you see them through the eyes of Jesus? A few weeks ago, I, I read for you guys, if you remember this, um, part of the blog from Samantha Owens, who's traveling around the world on this mission trip, right? And she's spent the last year in a variety of different countries. And the blog I, I, that got my attention was from Thailand when she had been spending time with, with the, the prostitutes in Thailand, and some of them who were 14, 15 years old. I mean, I, I can't even spend too much time thinking about this. It's so heartbreaking. But she talked about her interaction with some of these girls, how she would go and sit in the restaurant or in the bars, and she would, you know, she'd spend an hour talking with them before they had to go someplace else. What I didn't realize until her mom, Mindy, told me this the other day, for her to go and talk to those girls in the bar, she had to buy their time. She had to go to the pimp and pay the money so that they would have an hour free to sit with her so that she could just say, you know what? Somebody loves you. You're beautiful. Not, you're, you're not an object. <laughs> you're a human being, and you have validity just, just for who you are. And that cost her, literally, out of her own pocket to do that. Now, I'm not saying that to you know, say Samantha Owens is the greatest person in the world, she's, she's, but that's a wonderful example of what it means to have the look of Jesus. Do we see the world the way he sees the world? Is his compassion our compassion? Paul goes on to say it's not only from the earthly ministry of Jesus, it's not only from how he lived, but look at the Old Testament. Look at the word of God. And he goes to verse 4 and he says, whatever was written in the former days, he's talking about the Old Testament, the the law and the prophets, what we call today uh, the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, was written, why? For our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says, if you want to know if you reflect your God, go back to the Old Testament and look at the character of God. Look at how he prepared the way for Jesus to come. Look at how he had a plan all the way along because he understood that we needed endurance. It is a long journey. And he also knew that we needed hope and we needed to be encouraged. And so God spoke that truth through the law and through the prophets But notice also that that's not just the word given to us, but it's actually some of the defining or identifying marks of God. Because Paul goes on to say, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. Paul says, these aren't just words that God speaks. This is the way God approaches his creation. That God understands that we struggle. 
God understands that we fall short. God understands that, that we're not going to make it home on our own strength. It is a long, long journey. And so he is a God of endurance. He is a God who will see his plan of salvation through to the end, which brings great hope to you and me. And he is a God of encouragement. He's the God that comes along and says, you can do it because I'm with you. Isn't it interesting that, that almost every time Jesus healed somebody, he didn't take the credit for it? You know what Jesus said 99% of the time when he healed somebody? Your faith has healed you. How would you like to have that encouraging message from Jesus? Look you in the eye and say, you know what? You made a good decision. Your faith has healed you. You go, no, Lord, you did it all. He go, I understand who has the power here, but let me tell you something. That faith you have, that's a really, really good thing. You see, God understands it's a long trek home. And so he wants to make sure that we know that he is a God of endurance and a God of encouragement. Years and years ago, in the early 90s, we were doing some backpacking in Colorado, and I was with my friend Scott Vonnebergi, and we had a group of high school kids with us. And we had been out on the trail for about five or six days. We were on our last day. We had one more night to camp out, and then we were going to get into camp the next day. And, you know, we, we smelled bad. You could smell us a mile before you'd see us. And everybody's really tired, and, you know, you've been out there for a while. You've got a couple blisters here and there, and, and you're, you know, you're really looking forward to getting back into camp. And we come to our campsite, and there's a guy and a girl there that, that, are, that are camped out. And the guy is the guy's sitting down, or he's kind of laying down. He's kind of half propped up on his, on his elbow. And you can tell he's in a lot of pain. And as we sit down and we start talking to them, we find out that they're from Outward Bound, and they had actually been out on the trail for like 30 days. And they pulled out the map, and they began to talk about where they were. And I'm an okay map reader, but Scott's actually a really good map reader. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm going, I don't think they, they're where they think they are. And we started to kind of do the, the compass work with them. We're like, you're about 20 miles from where you think you are. And I thought this guy was literally just going to give up the ghost. He, 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 he was so discouraged. And then I looked at his feet that had bloody bandages on him because he had blisters. He, he couldn't walk. The, 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 the trek had done him in. He was not going to make it. So we, there were about five or six of us in our group. What do we do? We said, well, see you later. We got to go because we really want to get a shower tomorrow back at camp. And, you know, we'll send a helicopter for you if we think about it. No. We got all their equipment. We reorganized all of our packs. I strapped one pack to my back. We made a makeshift litter, and we carried him out a couple miles because he couldn't go any further. He was, he was at his end. Friends, do you understand? And, and I know you do because some of you have felt this way. Probably a lot of you have felt this way from time to time. You've run out of faith. You don't have any more. At this particular moment, you're just you're underwater, and you just you almost can't believe in it, and you haven't lost your salvation. God holds on to you. You don't hold on to him. But for the moment, you're in despair. What's it like to have somebody come by and spiritually kind of make a litter for you? Say, I'll carry your pack. We'll carry you out of here. Don't you worry about it. We'll make sure that you get home. Paul says, if you want to know whether or not you look like God, you have to ask yourself the question, do I look like the God of endurance? Do I look like the God of encouragement? Am I, when I see my brothers and sisters in that moment of vulnerability and brokenness, do I come alongside them? And do I care well for them? The scriptures give us that reflection to consider. And then they remind us that it's actually the sustaining power of God that sees us through. I skip all the way down to the end of the passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in love. This isn't about you having enough endurance and me having enough endurance. It's the endurance that the power of the Spirit gives us. 
It's the encouragement that the power of the Spirit gives us. God says, you're on a journey. You're on a trek. It's a long way, but we're going to do it with my power. And if I resemble my Father, I embrace the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I ask God to be my strength, and I, and I don't try to accomplish it on my own. So we have a mirror for reflection that allows us to look at this obligation of grace in an honest way because we are painting a family portrait, are we not? At the end of the day, when all of us in this room are gone, uh, there'll be another generation of people. And if by, Jesus hasn't come back, and by God's grace, there's still a Green Tree Community Church, somebody's going to sit around at some point and say, remember that generation back there in the 90s and the 2000s when they first got started? And they were a bunch of, and how are they going to fill in that blank? What are they going to say? Paul says, here's some things you ought to think about. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What Paul is saying there is that if you want to paint a picture, if you want to paint a portrait, paint a portrait of harmony, paint a portrait of true peace within your family structure, which doesn't mean peace like absence of conflict, like we, we all know something's wrong, but nobody wants to talk about it. So we all kind of go to our rooms and, and we just kind of stay away from each other and that's how we have peace. That's not peace. That, that's not peace at all. That, that's counterfeit. But may God give us the grace to be a, a, a church of true harmony, where when we have differences, we love one another well through those differences. When we have disagreements, we share them out of love because we want each other to be stronger, not because we want to gossip about each other behind each other's back and bring harm to one another. When, when we look at our marriages, when we look at our families, we don't start pointing the fingers. We look inward and say, what is God doing in my heart? What have I missed? How can I bring peace to this family, to this spiritual family of Green Tree? How can I bring peace into these relationships that truly reflect the peace of God in my heart? Secondly, he says, not only harmony, but be unified just as the Trinity is unified with one voice, glorify God. So that, that when you speak, you speak together. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements over nuances of scripture and things like that, but, but we all say with one voice, Jesus is Lord. We all say with one voice, we love our neighbor as ourself, and, and our voice is our life. It's the way we live with one another. Church historians tell us something interesting about the church in Rome, uh, probably a few years after Paul died. But as, as a lot of you know, probably maybe almost everybody in this room knows, you've heard of the, the martyrdom that took place in the Colosseum, that the Christians were, were fed to the lions, that, the, that they, were, they were made uh, uh, slaughter in the, in the gladiatorial games. Uh, but what church historians tell us about the Church of Rome is that there actually came a point in the history of that church when that church was so divided and there was so much angst within the Christian population of that church that they actually turned each other into the authorities. That Christians were actually culpable for the death of Christians. Friends, don't think that can't happen again. There are churches all over the globe that don't exist anymore because Christians figured out they couldn't get along with each other. And they'd rather walk away in anger than become humble and gracious and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to change their heart. It could happen at Green Tree tomorrow. And we need to understand that God has called us to unity, which means God has called us to humility. That is the key. You actually work from the ground up in this passage. If you want to have harmony and if you want to have unity, you better have humility. Welcome one another as Christ is welcoming you. I was thinking about that. I don't think I'm really going to do this, but I was going to have an experiment. I would say, okay, everybody who's, who is going to go to heaven because 
they deserved it and they earned it, stand up. But I'm not going to do that. Um, but if you think that, I want to offer a humble correction to that line of thinking. If you're saved, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it's because of God's grace, not because of you. Jesus didn't pick Tom because Tom was the smartest. Tom was the best. Far from it. Tom doesn't have any rhythm. <laughs> Tom can't do a simple foxtrot. <laughs> and he cusses when he can't do it, okay, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think you can say that at the wedding, Mr. Ricks. Okay, got it. Um, God saves us because he's gracious. God saves us because he's merciful. And he says, if you want to f- reflect me, make sure that your reflection is a merciful reflection, is a gracious reflection. Welcome one another in the same way Christ welcomed you. The, the list that Jesus had to welcome you, what he was going to tick off his list to welcome you was nothing. He welcomes you right where you are, who you are, with all the junk in your life, just like he does the rest of us. And if, if I live in a spiritual family and you live in a spiritual family that has that as our foundation, it will breed humility. You can't be proud and be a disciple of Jesus. The two do not go together. We're painting a picture, friends. Does it resemble our Father? So, as I said earlier, we can't do anything with complete seriousness around here. So I went and typed in awkward family uh, images or pictures, and, and I went to the web to get, to, to get an awkward family picture that I could actually publish. And uh, there's some that really, like, scared me way too much. But this is a family of four, and I don't know why they cut their heads off, because it, did, it doesn't on my computer screen, but here it did. Um, and they're all smiling except for this daughter who really, I'm glad she doesn't have any kind of instrument in her hand, blunt object. But then there's the son who I think is supposed to be resting his hands on his mom's shoulders, and I think he's actually saying, make me take this picture, let me tell you what I think. It looks a little spooky, right? That's the kind of portrait that a church could paint that just really doesn't know how to love and doesn't know how to care. I should have actually put a great family portrait up there to, to, to change it, but I don't really have that picture because it's in heaven someday, and someday we will not experience tension and stress and, 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 and bickering, bickering and fighting and gossip. But we are painting a picture in this day and in this generation, and it's not only a picture for God to look at and say, those are my kids, do they look like me? It's a picture for the rest of the world to see and say, do we recognize God? Is there a clear pathway to Jesus? Let's pray.